we've been going through all of the content of the Lord's Prayer, the X's and O's and all the pieces on how Jesus taught us to pray. And so to wrap up this series this morning, I just want to take a step back and kind of just look at prayer as a whole. Just look at the, the beautiful act, the beautiful blessing that prayer is, that meeting with God is, that being in the presence of God is, how beautiful that is, how much of a blessing and an honor and a privilege that is. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning because when we look back at, at the history of the Old Testament, it wasn't always that way. We didn't always have this, this access. We didn't have uh, uh, this accessibility and this relatability, this relational piece to God. That wasn't always the truth and how it was. Because when we go, so we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to open up, we're literally going to be on like page one or two. It's going to be in chapter three. We're just going to quickly go through this. We look back at the Garden of Eden and how things started was perfect. See, Adam and Eve were walking with God in the Garden of Eden. They were walking with him. They were talking with him. They were meeting with him. They were continuously in his presence. See, Adam and Eve had free unrestricted, unlimited access to God. And it was perfect. But then we know sin entered the world. They ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that they weren't supposed to eat. And at that moment, Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. They were banished from God's presence. They could no longer meet with him like they used to. And that was the new reality from then on. No one met with God like Adam and Eve did. No one talked to God like Adam and Eve did. There's people that talked to God. There were some people that heard from God. There were some encounters with God. There were some visions from God. But as far as meeting with God and actually being in the presence of God, that was a thing of the past until Moses so we pick up in the book of Exodus. And what we know about Moses is God chose Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. We all know the story. This is when God parted the Red Sea and all of Israel led by Moses got to walk through and they were free from bondage of slavery, right? And now they were just wandering in the desert. They were led by God and they were walking through, led by God. And then one day, God leads Israel, leads Moses to the base of this mountain, and it was a mountain called Sinai. And what God says to Moses now is so groundbreaking and life-changing. So in Exodus 19, God basically says, hey, Moses, I'm going to meet with you. It's no longer just talking to you. It's no longer just, um, just having someone be able to, to hear from God or have a vision. No, no, no. I want to meet with you at the top of that mountain. And this was such a big deal that God told Moses to go tell all of Israel, hey, listen, for the next three days, guys, we need to cleanse ourselves, we need to consecrate ourselves, we need to prepare ourselves for this meeting. God's going to come and meet with, with me, said Moses. And so three days later, we see this big pillar, this cloud of fire and thunder and lightning goes over the top of this mountain. And all Israel can do is stand at the base of this mountain and just see that the presence of the Lord is up there. Only Moses was invited up to actually meet with God. 
And so Moses goes up to the top of this mountain, and he meets with God. He talks to him, just like if someone was talking to a friend. And we know that this is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. This is where he gets the laws to bring back down to Israel to tell them how they ought to live. And so Moses does that. He comes back down. And then God wants another meeting with Moses. Tells him to come back up the mountain. And so Moses went back up. And what God says this time, he says, Moses, I want to dwell with my people now. I want to be boots on the ground. I want to be down there. I don't want to just be up in this pillar of cloud on top of a mountain. No, no, I want to dwell with my people so that they know that I am their God. But because sin entered the world and because God is holy, he can't be in the presence of all these people. And so God tells him to build a tabernacle or or, or a temple or a place of meeting that his presence can dwell in. So what we see in Exodus 25, God says this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And he goes on to say, There, above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all of my commands for the Israelites." And so this tabernacle, this this place of meeting, this sanctuary, this is where God's presence is now going to be housed. And so all of Israel now knows God's right there. His presence is right there. And they couldn't be more, more elated, more ecstatic, but also couldn't be more terrified. They were so excited that now God's presence was among them. And Moses was the one that got to go meet with them. And got to go talk with him. And so if we keep reading, and I think it's like Exodus 25 through 29, there's several chapters in Exodus where God just lays out all of the details and all of the ways that he wants these people to make the tabernacle. It is so detail-oriented. There's so many steps. There's so many things to do. It's so intricate. But every single piece of that tabernacle, of that sanctuary, was intentional. Every single piece was symbolic. So if you're, if you're someone that likes to really peel back the layers of Scripture and see where it goes and see where it takes you and see how it kind of connects to other areas, I definitely recommend you go read Exodus and read about the tabernacle because it just has layers and layers of goodness that God intentionally put in there for us to find. And so I actually have a picture I want to show up on the screen, um, and it's just kind of a quick sketch of what the tabernacle looked like, um, what we can kind of uh, what we can get from from Exodus and what God tells them um, how to make it. And so when we look at this picture, you can kind of see like a big rectangle, big courtyard. And then within that, there's another little rectangle, another little like tent, another little place to go inside. And then finally, when you go at the very back, you guys can see there's a, there's a purple uh, curtain or veil, and it's got some like gold figures, some gold cherubim on it. And that last little section of the tabernacle, that little room right there, that was called the most holy place. That was called the holy of holies. And that specific place, that little area, that is where the presence of God was. And what we know about this tabernacle is that outer courts, so Israel lived around this, like they had camp kind of around the tabernacle. And then within the courts, People could go in there, but that's as close as they got to the presence of God. That is as close as they got to meeting with God. And then we know that there was priests, there was a select few people 
that could go into the next layer, into that bigger rectangle. And we also know that behind that curtain, behind that veil, there was only one person that could go back there. So in this time, it, there was a high priest, and it was, uh, it was Aaron, and he was able to go behind that veil, that curtain. And what's important, so that curtain, that veil, that purple thing that's hanging right there, what that represents, what that's symbolic of, is the separation between God and man. And we know that that curtain, so if I think of a veil, I think of a curtain, you think of like a veil in front of a bride's face that's so thin you can literally see through it, right? Or you think of a, a curtain at your house in front of your windows, pretty thin, even if it's a blackout curtain. That thing's still thin, it'll rip, you can cut it, you can pull it down, those kind of things. That veil, that curtain that was in front of the most holy place, it was said to be four finger widths thick. Could you imagine a curtain that is that thick? It's a, that's almost bulletproof. That's not just going to accidentally get a hole poked in it. That's just not just going to have a little tear or a rip in it or just, or just kind of over time wear away. No, no, no. This veil was a lasting separation between God and man because nobody could be in his presence except one person, one time a year. So we know is there's, there's what was called a high priest. And basically, after jumping through a ton of hoops, a ton of steps, a ton of to-do list that one time a year on the Day of Atonement, they could go behind this curtain, they could be in the presence of God, and they could make atonement for everybody else's sins. And that's as close to God as people got. And unfortunately, what we know is that when people were, were wanting to meet with God, they had to go through a mediator. They had to go through somebody. They had to say, all right, I want to talk to this high priest, and he will be the one that can talk to God on my behalf. And then they will relay the message back to me. I had to go through a high priest, and that's as close to God as I could get, right? Now, while this tabernacle was being built in Exodus 33, we read about something called the tent of meeting. And so Obviously, with all these details with that tabernacle, that is not being built overnight. But Moses was so excited about meeting with God that he fashioned what was called a tent of meeting. It was basically like a temporary tabernacle. Okay? He put it outside of the camp of Israel. Um, and, and what we read is that Israel would go to this tent to inquire of the Lord. See, they would pray to God. They would request things from God. And they would pray out of ritual but it wasn't out of relationship because they weren't the ones that actually got to meet with God. But what's awesome is that when we read when Moses goes to that tent, when Moses walks up to the tent, we read that this that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud that represented God's presence, it swooped down at the entrance of that tent while Moses talked to God. Could you imagine if you were going to go pray and God looked down and says, yes, there he is. There she is. They're coming to talk to me. And God swoops down and he goes and he meets with you. And he hears you. And he talks to you. Just like a friend was talking to a friend. Could you imagine that? Now look how Israel, the rest of Israel, responds when they get to see Moses meeting with God. So in Exodus 33, it says this. 
As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. They weren't even the ones meeting with God, but they couldn't help but worship the one God. And they couldn't help but worship knowing that somebody Just somebody got to meet with him. They understood how big of a deal it was that someone was able to be in the presence of God and talk to him directly. They were just so excited that they had a man on the inside that got to talk to God on their behalf. And again, that Moses got to come back and tell them what they said, what God said. See, Israel understood how big of a deal this was. There's a psalm, Psalm 84, that David wrote, and I think it it sums up perfectly the heart and soul of all of Israel's cry, and I think it sums up our heart and soul, whether we realize it or not. Psalm 84 says this. I'm just going to read some pieces of it. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. He's talking about that holy place right now, the tabernacle. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar." Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. saying, how lucky are they that they get to be in your house. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Listen to this. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I just want to be close. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And we know that this is just how, no matter how desperate some of, the, some of Israel was, this is just reality. They had a high priest that met on their behalf, and that's just how communication with God worked, or lack of. And we know this to be true all the way until Jesus' life on earth. But now, Jesus lived, and then Jesus died. And if we remember that curtain... If you remember that veil that we talked about that was representative of separating us from God, we're going to pick up in Matthew 27 and pay attention to this massively small detail that I have read over a thousand times and did not connect the dots and understand how, how big of a deal this is. So right as Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, this is what happened. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Do you know what that means? 
The curtain was torn in two. There wasn't a hole in it. Didn't have a tear in it. No, what was symbolically separating us from having direct access and meeting with God at the moment Jesus died was completely torn and was completely done away with because of what Jesus did. So no longer do I need a high priest, no longer do I need another man to go to God on my behalf because I can have direct access back to God. The veil, the curtain that was in the way is gone. The biggest gap, the biggest chasm, the boundary that was separating us between God, Jesus did away with on our behalf. So now because of what Jesus did, just like the Garden of Eden, we can now have back our free, unlimited, unrestricted access back into the presence and meeting with God. See, no longer do we need to go to a tabernacle. We don't need to go to a temple. We don't need to go to a sanctuary. You don't need to go to a church to meet with God. You can meet with him here, but you don't have to be here. Because you know why? Scripture says that we are now that temple we are that sanctuary. We are the tabernacle. We are the tent of meeting. When we surrender our lives to Jesus and we receive the free gift of salvation that he won for us on the cross, I am now the tent of meeting. I now house the spirit of the living God. And I can meet with him wherever and whenever I want. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells in your midst? Because we can now approach the throne of God with boldness and with confidence because of what Jesus did. I don't have to just only desire what David talked about in that psalm. Now it's fulfilled. I can be in his presence. I can be in his courts. And I can enjoy that. I can live there. Hebrews 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that place behind the curtain, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed for he who promised is faithful. So that veil being torn, that curtain being torn in two, and us now being that tent of meeting and housing the Holy Spirit and being able to talk to God directly and being able to be in his presence and have meeting with him, that's a lot bigger deal than I think we often make it out to be. See, back then the Israelites so deeply desired to be individually, personally in the presence of God, but they didn't have it. Today, we have it but we often don't desire it. I'm going to say that one more time. 
The Israelites so wanted, so deeply wanted to personally have the presence of God, but they didn't have it. Today, because of Jesus, we can have it, but we so often don't desire it. See, praying directly to God and being able to be in his presence and meet with him has become so, so normal and ordinary and mundane that for me, it's, it's even become a burden. It's become an obligation. Or I'm rushed. I have divided attention when I'm trying to meet with God. It sounds terrible, but if I'm being totally honest with you guys, that's how a lot of times it is. Sometimes I take for granted the access that I have to the creator of the universe. Now, just imagine with me for a couple moments this morning. Let's say that tomorrow you get to meet and hang out with your all-time favorite celebrity or favorite professional athlete or whoever the one person you want to have lunch with is, you get to hang out with them. You can't say Jesus. That's cheating. You're not allowed to use that answer. Anybody else? Imagine how excited you would be. I'd probably be thinking about it the whole rest of the day. I'd be wondering, what, what am I going to say to this person? What am I going to wear? What are they going to say to me? What's it going to be like? I probably wouldn't even get much sleep tonight because I'd be so amped up with anticipation of that meeting tomorrow that I get to talk with, I get to hang out with, with that person and I'd wake up and go to that meeting. I'd probably get palms all, all sweaty, anxious, right? Get all nervous going up to him. When I meet him, I'd probably be so thankful. Thank you for just for hanging out with me. Thank you for taking time. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of things to do, but I just am so grateful that you would meet with me, right? You probably ask him for a picture, a little selfie. You might ask for an autograph. Which, sidebar, autographs are super weird to me. If you really think about it, you're literally just essentially a complete stranger. You're asking them to write their name on something, but make sure it's not legible. I want you just to make it completely unrecognizable. Scratch your name on this piece of paper, and then I'm going to put it up and post it on my wall at home so other people can look at it, and I can say that's so-and-so's name. Anyways, autographs are weird. But you would, you would go back, and you would probably tell anybody that would listen that you got to have a meeting with and you got to talk with, and you got to hang out with, fill in the blank, right? What about with God? I know I don't hardly ever, if ever, go into my meeting and my prayer in the presence of God like that. Like I said before, I'll, I'll go into a prayer, and I got an agenda. I got a to-do list for God. I got a time limit on God. My attention is completely divided. I'm all over the place thinking thoughts about the day and yesterday and random thoughts I've never thought about before when I'm trying to pray and be in the presence of God. I'm not really there. I'm rushed. If I do it at all, right? Sometimes we're so busy or I have other obligations I have to do that I might miss it completely. And just because... Meeting with God and having his presence and being able to pray directly to him just because that's normal does not mean that it is not special and holy every single time. Because we get to talk to God. We can wrap our minds around that just a little bit this morning. The magnitude of that 
How could it not be holy every single time? And when I say all that, the last thing that I want to do this morning is turn this into a guilt trip or to shame. And we all leave here this morning. We're like, oh, man, yeah, you know, I think Austin might have been right. I, I don't pray enough. I don't pray long enough. We leave here with our heads down, our tails tucked, and it's like, gosh, kicking ourselves. You know, this week, I'm, I'm going to try harder this week. I'm going to pray more this week. I'm going to spend more time in prayer this week. Because, man, I, I'm sorry, God, I feel terrible. I, I probably should give him a little bit more time, right? That is so, that is the problem with prayer now. That is the current issue. Shame, guilt, Obligation are the last things that should bring us to prayer with God. That is so far from how God views fellowship and prayer with us. That is not how he wants us to view it. See, I want us to leave here this morning saying, oh my gosh, God, the God, the creator, the ruler, and the king over the entire universe, you're saying he... He listens to me? Yeah. Wait, you're saying that we can, have, we can meet with him? That his presence is actually here? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not just that he will meet with you, like he's doing you a favor or you're inconveniencing him. It's that he wants to meet with you. He desires your fellowship. He desires your prayers. He wants you to come to him. We are Moses in this situation, walking to that tent of meeting, and God's looking down. He's saying, there they are. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're coming to meet with me, and he swoops down, and he meets with us. His presence is here. We can talk to him directly. All we have to do is take advantage of it. And I was reading a book on prayer by an author named Tyler Statton, and he quoted on this topic, and I thought it was really good, so I'm going to share it with you guys. It says this, prayer is about presence before it is about anything else. Prayer doesn't begin with outcomes. Prayer is the free choice to be with the Father, to prefer his company. And our desire for certain outcomes or our confusion over not getting certain outcomes, we are tempted to begin there. But we cannot brush past simply being with the Father and arrive at anything close to the sort of prayer that Jesus won back for us. Prayer starts with presence. And so as I close I just want to go through a story that, that God put on my heart, and it's in Luke 10. And ironically enough, this story literally butts right up to the Lord's Prayer. So the end of this story goes right into the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. I just thought that was kind of cool as I was reading. So in Luke 10, what we see here, starting in verse 38, that Jesus and his disciples were, they were, they were walking through a village um, and a woman named Martha came up to him, and she opened up her home for, for Jesus and his disciples to come in, um, hang out, have a meal. And while they were there, Martha's running around, and, and she's making preparations. She's serving everybody. Um, and her, she has a sister named Mary, and she's there as well. And we read that Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet, just listening to what he says. 
And Martha gets upset, and she goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, aren't, aren't, you, aren't you mad that Mary's not helping me? Will you, will you tell her to help me? And so we go on. I'm just I'm going to read it. The Bible tells us better than I do, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the Scripture. Starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So Jesus answered Martha and basically said, Martha, you're doing a lot of good things. You're serving people. You're running around making preparations. But Mary's doing the best thing. Mary's sitting at my feet, and Mary's meeting with me. And what God revealed to me in this story is, you know, we might be doing a lot of good things in our day-to-day lives. We might do, be doing a lot of well-intentioned, productive things that God is pleased with. But have we brushed past? Have we rushed through? Or have we completely missed meeting with God? Have we missed the best thing? Have we missed the most important thing of just sitting at his feet? Jesus tells us plain as day that that is the best thing, and it will not be taken from us. See, both Mary and Martha had the presence of the Lord in their midst. They were all in the same house. But only Mary chose to meet with God. And it's the same with us. We have God's presence surrounding us all of the days of our lives. He is omnipresent. He is in everything. He is everywhere. But we can easily miss out and avoid meeting with him. And so I don't don't know what your prayer is this morning. I don't know what your needs are this morning. I don't know what you're going to the Lord for. But I think when we, when we approach the throne of God, when we approach meeting with God and prayer with God, knowing that he hears you, knowing that he is here with you, knowing that you are praying directly to him and that he loves you, knowing that you have his undivided attention And that he's looking forward to hearing from you. I think when we take that approach, all of our prayers change. And maybe not the words. Maybe the content and what you're praying for stays exactly the same. But I think the tone and the heart shifts. We come from a place of humility and honor and joy and excitement to meet with our God because we can. Because he hears you. And so before we go back into our last song, before we stand up and sing...
I want to take a few moments to do exactly that. I want us to take the posture of Mary in this story. So everyone all around the building, if we could just close our eyes. If you're outside, if you're online, just close your eyes. Calm your breath. Still your thoughts. Push aside your agenda for the rest of the day. Let's just sit at Jesus' feet. He wants to hear from you. Listening to what he says. Nothing else matters in this moment. It's just you and God. You have his undivided attention. He welcomes you with open arms. Because of Jesus and through his Holy Spirit, you can talk directly to the Father in heaven. And even in this moment, right now, he hears you. He cares for you. He loves you. He's meeting with you. And if you have never done that, if you didn't know that you could have that access, if you didn't know that Jesus on the cross died for you so that you can reconcile that relationship between you and God, you can do that this morning. See, God's arms are open wide. He wants to meet with you. That free gift of salvation is for you this morning. That wrestling in the pit of your stomach that's pulling you all kinds of directions. The Spirit is knocking, wanting to meet with you. It will not, He will not force Himself in, but He is openly available to you. He desires your fellowship, He desires your prayers. Let's just sit for a few moments this morning and meet with our Father. Our altars are open. You can come up here and pray. You can stay in your seats. We have people on the sides that would love to pray with you. It's just you and God. Let us meet with our Father.